Good morning. We made it back from Israel. Yeah. We had a tremendous trip. Greg Parker, we're still friends. And uh, Greg is just such a good connector and building those relationships. And whenever we sat down to meals together, he'd be talking about what God's doing here, there, and the other way. And I'm just trying to find out about their kids. Actually, their grandkids. So anyway, it was a tremendous trip. I'll share a little bit this morning from that, a little bit tonight. Uh, I had, I had an, an incredible little epiphany while there. I want to share that tonight. Share some of the things that were on my heart as I was over there for that goes along with Jude this morning. And then in February, we're going we're gonna to put together a kind of a debriefing uh, sometime on a Sunday in February. So I want to just say that we are amazingly blessed to know God. And it's the God of Israel. And so over there, the, the centrality of the nation Israel, God's people, we are grafted in to what God's doing. It's, it's incredible. And, and so anyway, I could go on for a long time right now. So anyway, the other thing I want to remind you too, today is if you, would, if you have a 2020 prayer request, please fill that out, put it in the bowl outside because we will be praying for that starting in, uh, this Saturday actually in our hour of prayer and we usually go through all the requests about five or six times during the year. So if you have something that you would like pray, prayer for this year, uh, it could be a lot of different things. Just put that prayer request in the bowl out there, and then we'll start praying for those this Saturday. So would you stand, and we're going to be in Jude chapter, uh, verse. we're going to read 20 through 25. This is the fourth part of a four-part series on Jude, contending for the faith. This morning I want to talk about contending for the love of God. Paul last week shared on contending against the ungodly. Now we're going to talk about contending for the love of God. And so in Jude chapter, uh, verse 20, it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now here it is. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We look now to you as the author and finisher of our faith. We look now to you to feed us from your word. We're hungry. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Lord, we want to hear under the things that you're saying. So we're not just hearing, but Lord, you are stirring us to obedience. And we pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. I pray you, t you take the things I prepared, break them fresh. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit says. So, Lord, when we hear from you, that's what we need. We need to hear from you, Lord. And once we know we've heard from you, we can't but want to, desire to follow after you in one-step obedience toward the finish line, eternal life. So please, Lord, bless, I pray now, our time in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. You can be seated. So just uh, real quickly, the four-part series, we contend humbly, so God called us to save us. He saved us to change us, and this is key to the book of Jude. He changes us by keeping us as we contend for the most holy faith. 
So he's not going to keep us in sinfulness. He's not going to keep us in, in compromising or anything. He keeps us as we contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So we contend humbly. We contend earnestly. In other words, we remember God's judgment. Don't deny it. Judgment is a part of the gospel. We reverence God's authority, so don't defy it, as we looked at in Jude. God is the ultimate and final authority. Would you say amen? We don't want to defy that authority. We want to humble ourselves under his mighty hand, and God's desire is to exalt us in due time. As we humble ourselves under God, he works in us this fabulous thing called salvation, and then he does all that work in us, and then the great thing is he rewards us for it, what he's done. And then content earnestly refuse then willful disobedience. Don't do it. Don't go there. Paul last week talked about contending against the ungodly. So this morning, contend for the love of God. Beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God. Three things he says there. Number one, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Secondly, praying in the Holy Spirit. And third, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We must be contending for the love of God. I would say for the love of God's sake, we're contending for the faith. So keep yourselves in the love of God. What that means is to keep yourselves, quote, within the sphere of the love of God. Literally Greek, in the sphere of the love of God. In other words, keep yourselves in that place where God in his love can do for you what he desires to do. Keep yourselves in that sphere of the love of God. Keep yourselves under the spout where the glory comes out. And thus, I want to give you this little old hymn. Do you remember this one? It's called Glory Spout. Uh, glory Spout. One dreary Sunday morning, sitting bored as I could be, an old gray-haired preacher man started preaching straight at me. He opened up his old black book and took his text at me, but he opened up my blinded eyes, and now I can see the chorus. Since I got the victory, brother, I found it out. It's so good on the inside that outside has to shout. Since I got my want to fixed, I'm happy and glad I got under the spout where the glory comes out. Can you say amen? Then the other verse goes like this. Now preaching, praying, singing once meant nothing to me. And them good old shouting sisters, well, they made me want to flee. But now I got something, brother, I can shout about. I got under the spout where the glory comes out. And God's love, the glory of God's love wants to pour out on us. But we've got to keep ourselves in a sphere where he can do that. You see, there are paths of blessing and there are paths of cursing. There are things that God can bless and will bless, and there are things that God can't bless and won't bless. And so, in the book of Jude, the children of Israel, because of unbelief, did not keep themselves in love of God. The angels who rebelled did not keep themselves in the love of God. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, in giving themselves over to sexual immorality, did not keep themselves in the love of God. And let me halt a minute because it's such a problem. Sexual immorality is not within the sphere of God's love. It's not. Cain, by allowing anger to master him, did not keep himself in the love of God. Korah, by allowing pride to master his heart, did not keep himself in the love of God. Cor, uh, Balaam, by allowing greed 
to master his heart did not keep himself long. So we've got to be really careful in the area of anger, greed, pride. The ungodly never keep themselves in the love of God. In fact, they mock it, as Paul talked about last week. So these are the things that are the warnings to us. We must contend against the ungodly. We must contend, first of all, in our own hearts, in the love of God, for the love of God, that we would grow in that and grow in his love for us. And there are countless other examples in the scriptures of those who did not keep themselves in the love of God. I think of Samson. He played around with his commitment as a Nazarite. He laid his head in the lap of Delilah one too many times. And so the epitaph over his life is what was prophesied when he was born. He will begin to deliver Israel, but he never completed the the task that God had for him. Saul, the first king of Israel, because of envy against David and all the things, selfishness, living in the flesh, because of those things, God finally said, because you've not obeyed the word of the Lord, He has removed you now from being king. He did not keep himself in the love of God. So, beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is a key passage that goes along with this. We looked at it once. I want to revisit it this morning. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under a cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Exodus 17. Some of you are in in the Wednesday study. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as were some of them, nor let us commit sexual morality as some of them did, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted, nor complain as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Contend. For the love of God, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But listen, God is faithful. Amen? God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation. Notice, with the temptation, as it comes, with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my brethren, flee from idolatry. Now, he says, do not become idolaters. Now, he's saying they did this, they did this, but don't become idolaters. And then he ends the passage, flee from idolatry. What is idolatry? It's very simply this, to fashion God into some image that we want. I want God to be like this. I want God to sort of support the choice that I want to make. So we fashion God into a God that allows for things That is not within the sphere of his love. So I want to satisfy my own desires. So I twist the scriptures to my own liking. Do not become idolaters. Flee from idolatry. In other words, know the true God. Know the truth that God gives to us. And live in that sphere 
of the love of God because his truth is his love. So 1 John, interesting, ends his epistle, this little epistle to, that he wrote. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. And then he says, he ends the epistle with this little weird sentence. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Now, it's the same thing. Don't make God, don't fashion him falsely. Take it, all the things he's revealed to us of who he is and his commandments and his truth and begin to ask him to transform our lives into that likeness. And brothers, the sinful flesh, the sinful world, and the enemy are, are against these things. We're going to be in this battle, in this contending, to look at God and know God as he really is. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that you may know him, what? The only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's eternal life. It's relationship with God as he has revealed himself to us, as he has commanded us, as he has taught us to live our lives. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Now, most holy faith is because it's most important. Can you say, say amen? It's most, most important. Our faith is what we're contending for. So it's upon the word of God. The foundation of the faith and for our faith is the word of God. Now, we've talked a lot about this, so I'm not going to listen to the other studies. We understand that. I hope that we do. I hope we're continuing to assimilate into our lives the need that we have to build our faith on God's word and nothing else. This is the meaning by which we know God in truth. This is the means by which we trust God. The means by which we obey God. Now, how can you trust someone whom you don't know? You can't. So we need to know, that's eternal life, know the only true God. How? In his word, by his spirit. So when I say I have a hard time trusting God, that honest confession is simply exposing the fact that I really don't know God as I need to. Because to know God is to trust God. It's to love God. So what do I do? Listen, it's back to the word of God. In all these things, it's back to the word of God. I found it necessary to write to you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to saying, the apostles' doctrine, the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Can we have that? For instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And again, there's tons of scripture, and I could talk about that for hours. That God's word by his spirit is our spiritual Food. So Peter said this, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. A newborn babe is very cute. Would you say amen to that? So cute. I mean, it just steals your heart immediately. But if that child at 10 years old is still messing his diapers, something is sadly wrong. It's normal to grow out of those things. So Peter's saying right from the beginning, you have to be taking the milk of the word right from birth. That's where spiritual strength, that's where spiritual life, that's where faith, that's where love, that's where obedience, that's where trust comes in, is I'm taking in the milk of the word, the meat of the word, the manna of the word. Hebrews puts it this way. 
For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Now, by the way, the book of Hebrews has intense warnings throughout it. And he's saying here, hey, by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the first principle of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. You're still on the milk. For, the, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who by reason of use have exercised their senses, have their senses to discern what? Good and evil. It's discerning between good and evil and living our lives according to what God said is good, right, and not according to the evil things of our flesh and the world. So the idea is don't let your spiritual growth be stunted. Keep feeding on the word of God. Keep taking in what you need to. And so, what's, friends, you know the drill. <laughs> it's back to the Bible. It's back to the Bible. The statistics are this. 13% read daily. 32% three times a week. 43% not at all. Where would you fit on the survey? Where are you going with that? So, it's a, it's a need we have to take in the word. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said this, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of what? Doctrine. By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plot. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head. That is Christ. Build yourself up so that you will grow up. Now, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. It's fantastic. We're communing with God because of the Spirit of God. We're in fellowship with him in prayer through the Spirit of God. We're no longer uh, natural, we're spiritual beings. So, he said, so it's asking the Holy Spirit to direct me in my prayers. To inspire my thinking to illuminate my reasonings, and to then guide my decisions. The Holy Spirit of God is our companion in prayer. The greatest hindrance to this is not taking the time to wait on the Lord, to wait to hear from him, to give him time to speak to our hearts, to give us peace be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God will guard our heart. Often we're so frantic, we never take time just to wait and say, God, would you speak to my heart about this matter as I'm in prayer with you? So Psalm 25, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Psalm, next one. 27, I would have lost heart, how many would say amen, unless I'd believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So he says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning, yes, more than those who watch for the morning. Are you waiting on the Lord? Yesterday in our prayer meeting, this scripture, and I, I don't have it up here, but this scripture in Isaiah, many of you know it very well, came up. Isaiah 40. 
Have you not known? Just listen and let this sink in. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. In other words, you'll never, you'll never drain God. <laughs> he gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, zero, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait in the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Would you say amen? Wait on the Lord. The greatest hindrance in our prayer times and in receiving from the Lord through prayer is that we don't take the time to wait on the Lord. Now, Jesus said to his disciples, what, could you not wait with me for one hour? He said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And I read that and I think, you know, he didn't say, could you not watch with me for five minutes? Could you not watch me for 10 minutes? But could you not watch me for an hour? And the thing that crossed my mind is maybe that's the minimum starting point that we need, just an hour with the Lord. So friends, you know the drill. Back to prayer. Back to the word. That we might be contending for the love of God. Knowing his love. Now, Praying the Holy Spirit. Leonard Ravenhill wrote a book called Revival Praying. I want to share a couple of quotes out of there with you. He said, it is, it is when men bow the knee and call upon God that in a sense they become as mighty as the Almighty. Do not misunderstand me. I'm not irreverent. I am only saying what he says in his holy word. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show unto thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. You pray, says God Almighty, and I will work. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Then he goes on in, with this little prayer. He says, oh, my Savior, I say to thee again, with more insistence than ever, teach me to pray. Implant in me all the dispositions needful for prayer in the Holy Spirit. Make me humble, simple, and docile. May I do all that is in my power to become so. Of what use is my prayer if the Holy Spirit does not pray with me? Now, would you repeat this with me? This is one thing. Let's just say this together. Come, Holy Spirit. Come to dwell and work within me. Take possession of my understanding and of my will. Govern my actions, not only at this moment of prayer, but at every moment. I cannot glorify God nor sanctify myself Save by thee. Amen. God help us. Praying in the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit will direct and empower us in prayer according to his word. Thus, as we are building ourselves up on God's word, we will be building ourselves up in the praying in the Holy Spirit. They go hand in hand. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, God the Holy Spirit will help us to pray. In Romans 8, 26, likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself 
makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, so do you ever find yourself just groaning? <laughs> the whole groaning, that's prayer. It's gotten so overwhelming, all you can do is groan. And the Holy Spirit, that's intercessory prayer in your relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. Now, he who searches the hearts, this is incredible. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of what? The Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will. How can you go wrong? You got the Holy Spirit, Jesus interceding for us at the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit interceding for us, even when we don't know what to pray and all we can do is groan, the Holy Spirit is making intercession according to the will of God. How can we go wrong? We only go wrong when we miss it. These truths, the Holy Spirit will help us in our weaknesses. The Holy Spirit also gifts us to pray. Now I'm going to say about this gift of tongues, be it unto you according to your faith. I believe the gifts are all still in play. God gives us these gifts. And the gift of the, I, I actually do a study, the gift of tongues. Let's clear up the confusion because there's been so much confusion concerning this gift of tongues. So I'll, I'll leave that there. But here's what he says. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So praying, not knowing, but God, the Holy Spirit, through the gift of tongues, is praying. It's amazing. What is the conclusion? I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit. And I will also sing with the understanding. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to open our hearts up to these things that God has given to us in his word so that we are praying in the Holy Spirit. It's, in fact, it's incredible what he's given to us. And then the final, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, how does this help? Very simply, this helps because it keeps a proper perspective as we're contending for the faith. As difficult and bad as things may get, listen, we need to keep an eternal perspective. Looking unto G the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ Unto eternal life. 2 Corinthians, many of you know this well, but I thought it good to go again over it. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, and the contrasts here are stark. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Why we do not look at the things which are seen, but the, at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So chapter 5, we know. Listen, eternal perspective, proper perspective. We are pilgrims. It's temporary. We're in this earthly life. But listen, there's, there's an eternal eternity coming. There's a kingdom coming. So he says, we know. <laughs> That if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, not made with hands, what? Eternal in the heavens. Woo Wonderful in funerals to share this about believers. Hey, he or she didn't, they just moved. <laughs> they moved out of the tent. The tent was done. It could no longer operate to, so they could communicate who they are. So God released them in his mercy. For in this we groan, there's the groaning again, earnestly desiring to be delivered. Or desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, 
not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, listen, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us, here it is, the spirit as a guarantee, sealed, who owns us. Ephesians talks about that. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather be absent from the body and to be present. Would you say, be present with the Lord? Be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him, contending for the faith humbly, earnestly, against the ungodly, and for the love of God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. And I also trust are well known in your con. You say, hey, we need to keep the eternal perspective. It matters how we're living our lives, but these lives will translate us into a kingdom on earth for a thousand years and into eternity all promised, not because of our goodness and righteousness, but because of what Jesus accomplished for us. It's called eternal life. Getting excited. The last prayer in the Bible, Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's the last prayer in the Bible. The ki- thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are looking for the coming kingdom of God on earth, and for that to happen, we're looking for the second coming of the king to earth. Can I hear an amen? Jesus coming again. He's coming to establish his kingdom. Revelation says it'll be a thousand years where he's ruling with a rod of iron. Righteousness covers the land as the waters cover the sea. The lion lays down with the lamb. The child plays at the adder's uh, hole. And there's going to be this righteousness that covers the earth. There's going to be Jesus reigning from Jerusalem on the throne of David, literally. There's going to be this nation Israel centric to what God's doing all over the We're going to be kings and priests to our God and Father. Jesus said that in Revelation. I'm getting excited again. Titus says it this way. For the grace of God that brings salvation appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, contend against ungodliness, and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus. Are you looking for that? Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We're looking for his return. We're looking for the mercy that's going to be poured out on Israel when they repent. And God turns back to them. And then his fulfillment through Abraham. And then through David. And then through Jeremiah and the new covenant. He's going to fulfill it all. Just like he said in the Old Testament. With, with, uh, with uh, what's the word I want? Eh. Great detail in the Old Testament. Peter puts it this way. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct in God? We're contending for the faith, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, here it is, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, without spot, and blameless. 
You therefore, beloved, since you know these things, you know this beforehand, beware lest any of you fall from his own, your own steadfastness, being led away by the error of the wicked. But grow, grow up in grace and grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Eternal perspective. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And some, verse 22, have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling him out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Verses 22 and 23. You see, God's word and God's spirit in us wants to offer to the world his mercy through us. And so how does that work? With some, it will be compassion. With others, fear. With some, it will be the mercy of God extended. With others, the judgment of God to be thought about. With some, Jesus was very tender. With others, he was mercifully tough to bring about salvation. My own experience when I came back to Christ was both. I knew that God loved me, but I was afraid if I died in my van driving across the United States of America, I would go to hell, sure as I was sitting in my van. And I'm so glad that God scared the hell out of me by bringing to my mind his judgment, bringing to mind the truths that I'd learned as a child. And I realized, I got to get right with God. This is nothing to mess around with. So it was both. And I think for many people, maybe even your own testimony, for many it's both. It's both the compassion of God and the fear of God. Both the mercy of God and the judgment of God. That's all a part of the communication of the gospel. So to some we're drawn to their struggles. And to some we're repulsed by the sin. But listen, both need to be saved. Both are lost in their sin. Both need to respond to the gospel. Both are in danger of the fires of hell. That's the truth. We need to contend for their souls. How? Contending for the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Old survey. In 40 cases where people came to Jesus, only five came with the assistance of others, without the assistance of others. 95% of all Christians never, have never won a soul to Christ. 85% of all Christians do not consistently witness for Christ. Less than 2% of all Christians are involved, less than 2% are involved in the ministry, what I call reconciliation or evangelism. Now, what I'm asking God, what we are asking God to do is flip that whole thing on its head as far as Calvary Chapel South is concerned. Would you be praying for that? But if we're praying for it, we need to be also practicing it. Going out. So that 95% of us will have won someone to Christ. 85% of us will consistently witness for Christ. And I would say 100% of us are engaged in the active lifestyle of evangelism. People are going to hell without Christ. People are dying without Christ into a Christless eternity. The Great Commission is not the Great Suggestion. It's not. 
in contending for the faith, and here's something, uh, this is a little bit from Israel as I was there, outside the box, outside all my thing, that's when God can begin to speak into my life, and yours too, as you get outside the thing, and you begin to speak to it. And what God said to me is, will you trust me to take you where you've never been before? Will you trust me to take you where you've never been before? And of course, my heart cries out, yes, Lord, I want to trust you for that. And one of the hindrances to this operating actually is comfortness, being comfortable. And that's the truth for most of us, many of us. We're comfortable. We like God saying, I want to take you onto the front lines where the action is happening, where people's lives are being confronted with truth that changes their lives to become self-saved. It may be scary, but listen, it will be exciting. It may be unknown, but let me say this to you, guaranteed, it will make God known. Are you willing, are you going to trust me to take you where you've never been before? There are frontiers for each one of us in the area of evangelism, in the area of living a lifestyle of evangelism, in the area of the ministry of reconciliation to other people's lives. You see, the great scare for me, the great fear for me, is that I would not contend for the faith in this area. For whatever reason, and we've got a million of them, that I would not trust God to obey him in the Great Commission. You know, I thought of this too. You know, <laughs> my greatest fear is that I'll not survive my blessings. That God has blessed me so much, and it sort of can settle us into, I like that, you know. And God's not harping on me about anything. What he's saying is, I have more for you. I have new frontiers for your faith. I have new ways that I want to take your life and use it for eternal things. So here's, again, Israel, my thoughts. And I'll, I'll, I'll say we, but I. We must keep ourselves from thinking way too small. Now, how does that happen? This is how it happens. I think way too big of myself. Listen, there are no superheroes. Jesus is the only hero. He's not trying to make me a great man in the eyes of men. He's trying to make me great in the kingdom work. It's called meology. I loved it over there. Dalton Thomas, who heads up FAI. He said this a couple times, and it's so ministry to me. It might sound weird, but it's so ministry to me. He's talking about FAI, Frontier Alliance International. And he's saying, you know, we, here's what we're doing, but let me tell you this. We suck at that, this part of it. We, we're no good at that. So what do you do? He says, I want to go find someone who's good at that. And I think one of the hindrances, there are things that God has gifted us for, called us to, but there are a lot of things he hasn't. So we need the body of Christ. We need others who are going to come alongside of us and strengthen us in areas that we suck at. <laughs> and he would say that often. And I loved it. Because to admit that is so freeing. There are things that God has called us to. There are things that God has not called us to. And discerning those things, but then in realizing that we need help. Could you say amen to that? We need help. We have the help of the body of Christ. So we must keep ourselves also 
from allowing our sinful attitudes to go unrepented of. We've got to guard against that. We must keep ourselves from separating the sacred from the secular. It's all God's. All my time, all my treasures, all my talents are from God. They belong to him. So everything is sacred. Rather than, well, this much for me and this much for God. No, it's all his. Now, here's another one. We've got to keep ourselves from living in survivor mode. If I can just make it through the day. We are to be in overcomer mode as believers. We must also keep ourselves from excusing our way too little burden, compassion for sinners. Way too little horror of the fires of hell. Now, let me say honestly to you, I'm preaching this, I'm saying this, but there's a lot of work that still has to take place in this man right here. A lot of work. As I look at these things, and I look at my life, and I examine my life, and so what's going to be doing? How's this all going to happen? We're contending for the love of God. The things that God loves, which is, begins with you and I as far as our relationship with him. So we got to, you know, the Great Commission, listen, it's not the Great Suggestion, but listen, I love this. The Great Commission is not impossible. It's inevitable. God's going to do it. And he wants us to be, so how does this happen? Let me close with the last two verses. And by the way, if you're not memorizing with us a whole book, I would say take verses 24 and 25 and memorize those in the year 2020. Now to him, how's it going to happen? To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. You see, God changes us by keeping us as we contend for the faith. Keep you from stumbling, present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And everyone said, amen. When we stand before Jesus Christ on that day, to him be glory and dominion and power, all of it to him. We bow down, we cast our crowns. You are worthy because you've redeemed us from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you've made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. I'm getting excited again. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, this is what's going on. This is the truth. This is the love of God to us. To, to say to us, you're my child. I want you to grow up in all things into me who is the head. I want you to be used. I want your life to be mine to do with what I want to do. And if you will give your life to me to do what I want to do, I'm going to do incredible things. Just ask. Just pray. Just be in the word. Just follow after me. And I will do in your life what you could never even dream would have ever happened had you never known me. We contend for the faith that sees the invisible, believes the impossible, and receives the incredible. We contend for the faith that knows the God who can, trusts the God who is able, and believes the God who will. Spurgeon said, we contend for the faith that brings heaven to our soul and will bring our souls to heaven, unquote. And so this prayer, I'm going to pray it over us. We're going to take communion. It says, finally, brethren, pray for us. That the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with us, with you. Paul's writing, asking for prayer for these very things. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for, who, for not all have faith. 
But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now, the Lord direct your hearts where? Into the love of God and the patience of Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? And I want to go back a page in my notes and just ask you to ask yourself and to make this a prayer. Are you thinking too small? Has your thinking been centered around you too much? Are you allowing sinful attitudes to go unrepented of? Have you been separating the sacred from the secular? You've got sort of two lives you're living with your talents, with your time, with your treasures? Or is it all in for God? Are you living in survivor mode as though God's not able to do exceedingly abundantly of all that you ask or think? Are you persevering even though it's little faith? Or have you been finding yourself living in doubt and unbelief of who God is and what he wants to accomplish? How about your compassion for sinners, compassion for the lost, compassion, way too little urgency at all, maybe none. Lord, before we take communion, we come with these thoughts, these questions. And Lord, we ask, Lord, please forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We also, Lord, just honestly say we need your help. We need your help. You are able to keep us from stumbling. You're able to present us faultless before the presence of your glory with exceeding joy. And so, Lord, we look to you. We pray to you before we take communion. Forgive us, Lord. Hear our hearts cry to be on the front lines with you in the battle, to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints, to contend humbly, earnestly, contend against the ungodly, contend for the love of God. Help us, Lord, I pray. Building ourselves up on our most holy faith. And Lord, we pray you'd help us to stay steady in your Bible. Stay steady in prayer. Please help us, Lord. Help us.